Today we are continuing our series on perspectives. We've been looking at how we view things as so important to how we live. And we've looked at how we view God, the importance of how we look at God and the importance that plays in how we live our lives. We've talked about how we see worship and what we do in this area of worship is important, whether it becomes religion or whether it becomes something that is sacrificial to God. We've looked at the church and what it is supposed to be and what it has become from a place that is the house of the Lord to a gathering of people. Last week we looked at the scriptures in the Bible. We talked about how it is a menu and not the meal and how we need to be living the life and not be so driven by academia and knowledge that we miss the point. And so today I wanted to continue and and this week I was having trouble talking or thinking about exactly what the topic would be because it's going to cover a number of things. So I guess I made it general. I want to talk about life. Yes, today we're going to find out the meaning of life. Aren't you glad you came? Well, I almost missed it this Sunday. Yeah, you would have missed the meaning of life. And now where would you have been? So when I asked you at the beginning, what is the most important thing to you? What are some things that you thought of? What's that? Family, what else? Church. Church. (laughs) Gotta say church. Well, that's good. Good for you. Family, church. What else? Kids. Kids. Anything else? Health. Okay. These are all things that are important to us. Things that should then be our focus and attention. And, And notice no one said my car. I don't know if you were thinking it and were afraid to say it. You know, my phone, um, it's the most important thing. And you would think, probably by the way I act sometimes, that my phone is the most important thing in my life. At least my wife thinks so sometimes. But the most important thing to us is the thing that is going to drive us. And and what I want to talk about this morning is those things that are important to us and that we live for and why we are actually here and living. George Washington Carver said, no individual has any right to come into the world and go out of it without leaving behind him distinct and legitimate reasons for having passed through it. In other words, the idea is if you're here, then you are supposed to be here for a purpose. And I think all of us have that kind of hope that my life is here for a purpose. We'd like to all do something that has meaning. At least I think we do. I think that's something that is hidden there inside of us. I I know that one of my sons, I was talking to him one time and it was a, a difficult time in his life. And I remember him saying, you know, I just want to be a hero. And this idea of I want to do something that makes a difference to someone. It wasn't I want to be a hero so people will put pins or medals on me. I just want to do something heroic. And this was just coming from this depth of what he felt he needed to do to kind of fulfill his life. And I think that's true for many of us. And so what is something that matters while we're here and in this life? And turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going to 
read a story here, a story that you might be familiar with of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. If you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand and they'll get you one. Just hold your hand up and we're going to start reading. Luke 19, starting at verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, tax collectors weren't really admired back then like they are now. Um, And he was actually a chief tax collector. So he was in charge and he was very wealthy. Wealthy is something that people had aspired to do or be, much like today. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I relate to this guy. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything which he had, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus makes this incredible statement. Zacchaeus makes this declaration, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to give them four times the amount to make recompense. And Jesus says, today salvation has entered this house. And when we hear the word salvation, much to do with our fundamental viewpoint that we talked about last week. The idea of salvation to us many times is a solitarian one, which means Jesus came to save us from hell and to take us to heaven. And so salvation has this idea, well, salvation, he is no longer going to hell and he's going to heaven. But salvation means so much more than that. Salvation is talking about wholeness. It's talking about health. It's talking about restoration. It's not just talking about you're not going to hell and now you're going to heaven. And in this context, it's really talking about the restoration of this man to be accepted as a child of Abraham. In other words, he is now who he is supposed to be. And it's important that we understand this idea of salvation in this way. Otherwise, we have narrow vision about what God is doing. And many times, Jesus would say things that will give us an understanding of he's not just talking about this hell-heaven thing. In Matthew 13, 15, Jesus, quoting Isaiah chapter 6, says, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. And he uses this word healing, which has to do with a physical healing. But the same quote from Isaiah in Mark chapter 4, they may ever be seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And so we see that part of forgiveness is actually also healing. 
that the words are interchangeable because healing is more than just physical and forgiveness is more than just taking us from hell and putting us to heaven. It has to do with restoration. And so what Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus is today this man is being restored, is being made whole. That's the idea of salvation. And what did he do to get this salvation? He gave half his money and then promised to give four times what he stole from anybody. Wow. Okay, there you go. Give half your money to the poor and then give four times whatever you wrong someone and then you're saved? Is that the intent here? Or is he trying to get us to understand that he is moving from this one place of being a man who takes to now a person who gives? Someone who is actually giving of himself. And so he's moving from a position of being a consumer to now being a person who gives to others. I love at the beginning of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, it starts off and it says, it's not about you. As that declaration. So why am I here? What is this purpose? What is life about? And he says, it's not about you. And what Jesus is doing here with Zacchaeus, he's saying he has moved from a person who is consuming to a person who is giving. We see that also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul writes, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, which is important. You should know that. Okay, If you're stealing, stop. If you start there, you're doing good. Okay, That's progress. Steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, but it doesn't end there. He goes on, he says, that they may have something to share with those in need. So the purpose that you stop stealing and work with your hands isn't just because stealing is bad, which it is, just in case you were wondering. The purpose is so that you might be able to have something to contribute to those who are in need. And you see, we need to stop taking and start giving that God doesn't just want you to stop doing bad things like stealing or whatever those things are that you know are bad. But what God wants to do is unleash within you this well of generosity that is enabled to enrich the world around you. That you are here not for yourself, but to be a help to those who are around you. And so Zacchaeus was a person who was accumulating wealth. He was the chief tax collector. He was very wealthy. And all of a sudden there came this paradigm shift in his mind where he said, it's not about the money. In fact, I am going to use my resources to help those who are without. And I'm going to make sure that I am right with all those who I have wronged. And so salvation came when the change came in his mind and in his heart to actually stop being a person who consumed and start being a person 
who unleashed this generosity to the people around him. You see, we are not here to accumulate. Life is not about what you can get. Jesus said a man's life does not consist on the abundance of his possessions. And what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And again, don't think of soul as just he's going to go to hell. Think of soul as his identity, as what it really means to be a human being. Think of your soul as that thing that has the imprint of God on it. What if you lose the image that you were created to represent? And so we are not here to acquire. We are here to give. Even love, the idea of love. Many people think that love is something that is there to make them feel better, is there to make them happy. I was just talking with a friend yesterday whose wife, he found out, is cheating on him. And she wants to be happy. She no longer loves him. She now loves somebody else. And this idea of love is so tainted. And it's the same thing where we start consuming people. And we start using people so that they can make us happy. And now love has just become another way for us to consume and take. And so some people steal money, some people steal hearts, some people steal affection. But you know John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see, love, again, is something that is giving. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not arrogant. It's not proudful. It doesn't seek its own. And so we live in a world that thinks, many people, that we are here and we will find happiness, contentment, if we can get And then Jesus comes here and he gives this example of Zacchaeus and he says, salvation has reached this man because he went from a position of being a consumer to that of being a giver and that is the mark. I I see that as being someone who is now showing that they have connected to God. And so salvation isn't, well, you're not going to heaven or heaven, hell. Yeah, you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. Salvation becomes when you connect to the life that God has for you. And that life is one of generosity to the world around you. And the scripture is full of this thing. And I'm not saying this because I'm going to pitch for you guys to all give. 
Okay, we don't even use the term take an offering because that's like sounds like someone's robbing you. No one I don't like people to take things from me. I've had people take car stereos from my truck and TVs from my house. And I didn't give them permission. They just took them. I, I, so we're not here to take an offering. Yeah. What, how much you got? We, we don't do that. Okay. There's the barrel and back because it is your responsibility and willingness that we want. And so the purpose of what I'm talking about isn't to prompt you to give money. The purpose is to prompt you to think about your life, whether it is one that is taking or one that is giving. To see who you are and how that shows up in your life. Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 20. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions in everything I did. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And so here's the perception that we need to see if we have in life. Do we think it is more blessed to give than to receive? Honestly, do we believe that and do we live like that? Do we see ourselves as being instruments of God to meet the needs of others, whether they are physical, tangible needs, monetary needs, whether it be emotional and helping in times of need? Last week, I had a young man who called who's going through some issues with his wife, and we sat down at Starbucks for about two hours. Why? Because he had a need to talk. And I could sit there and say, okay, you know, I'm not getting paid for this, dude. You know, and you didn't even buy my coffee. (laughs) And so I I, want to go home, you know. My favorite show is on. But, you see, I'm not there just to satisfy myself. I, I need to be a person who helps the needs that happen to be there. And and that's not just me because I'm in this role as a pastor. You have the ability to meet other needs as well, emotional needs. Uh, I'm not special in that regard. There are people who are in your life who you can speak comfort to, but you have to be there for them. Or do you get the phone call and say, oh, let it go. You laugh because you do it. <clears throat> and so we see a theme in Scripture because there is this connection between who God is and the life that God gives and a person who cares and gives of themselves. Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 8. 
starting at verse 2. Paul again writing, well, let's start at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. And they expected, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so here is this group of people in severe poverty. And they urged Paul that they were, would be able to give. They saw it as a privilege. And Paul said, no, you guys are struggling. He goes, no, don't do that to us. Give us the opportunity to contribute to what is taking place. Because that is of value to us. When was the last time you thought in that way? There was something that you could think of, oh gosh, if I could just help out in some way. I don't have much, but I will give what I can. This is so important. You see, generous people are happy people. Generous people are people who live fulfilled lives in spite of what they have. Generosity isn't a matter of money. It's a condition of our hearts. And having more money doesn't make you more generous. Sometimes it's harder to be generous if you have more. Because you don't want to give it up. See, I'll let someone borrow my truck because it's a 2004, has 180,000 miles. If I had a Ferrari... Just saying, don't ask. <laughs> and so having more doesn't make you more generous. Generosity has to be a condition of your heart. And at the same time, people who are selfish, people who consume, who consume material, who consume emotion, who consume food, and just do everything for gratification are miserable people. They are never satisfied. They are always wanting more. And so what needs to happen is we need to recognize that what we do shapes who we are. And our lives are going to be shaped by whether we are people of generosity or people of consumption. And... It's so important that we understand this. You know, what we give can vary. In fact, I want to turn to one last passage in Exodus chapter 35. Because a lot of times when we think of giving, we think specifically of monetary. We think of money, or a lot of people do. But giving has to do so much more than that. And in 
Exodus chapter 35, verse 1, it says, Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work, work is to be done, but the seventh day you shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of the dwellings on the Sabbath day. And so there's supposed to be this separation between work and a day of worship. Jump down to verse 20. Because now what they're going to do is make a place for the worship to take place. The tabernacle, this tent dwelling. And in verse 20, it says, Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing, mark those words, and see how many times they show up, who was willing and whose heart moved them, came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting. For all its service and for all the sacred garments, all who were willing, there it is again, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry, and all kinds of those things. Brooches? Yeah, they brought brooches. Anyone have brooches? Sounds like roaches to me. Anyway, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had a blue, purple, or scarlet yarn of fine linen or goat hair. That's <laughs> Fine linen or goat hair, whatever you got. Ram skin dyed red or the other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn of fine linen. And all the women who were willing, there it is again, and had skill, spun the goat hair because it takes skill to spin goat hair. The leaders brought onk stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. What can you give? What do you have? This wasn't just gold. Yeah, there were some who gave gold, but there are some who could spin goat hair. There were some who had the wood. They contributed what they could, but here's the key. They did it willingly because they wanted to see this take place. Jump with me down to chapter 36. So Bezaliel, Ohiliab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of construction in the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezaliel and Ohiliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary, and the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough 
for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. We haven't gotten to that place yet. Because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. It's interesting. The first time a person being filled with the Spirit is used is in this passage, and it has to do with an artist. See, when you give, you don't just give monetarily. You give of yourself. And these people were so wanting to see this work take place that they were giving and giving and it was an abundance. And I say this because I think often, what could we do if we were a generous people? What if the world was filled with people who would give because they wanted to make a difference? There would not be another child who went to bed hungry if everyone would just give. We have enough food to feed the world. We just don't care enough to do it. There would be no one going without medicine because they can't afford to have it. We have the means. We just don't have the heart. And what can we do as a community if we were generous people? What are your abilities? I feel so unable or unable at times to give more. And so I try to give what I can. But most of what I can do is in time, but then I start feeling selfish because, you know, I, I'm the pastor here, and so if I give time to Genesis, I feel like it's kind of self-serving. Well, the more time I put in here, the better it is for Genesis, and I'm a part of Genesis. And so now I have just been prompted to actually once a month go and serve at another faith community because... I need to give, sacrificially. I don't get anything for it. I go down to Hollywood, and I'll park cars or I'll do what I need to do just to help. Because it's important that I have an attitude of giving and not just getting. And I'm not trying to build my kingdom. I want to give to God's kingdom. And so I want to challenge you. If I, and it's not like I need to do more, okay? The first Sunday of the month, we have a leadership meeting for Sunday evening. Third Sunday of the evening, or Sunday evening of the month, we have our love feast, usually. And so it's not like I need to fill up Sunday evenings because I don't have anything to do. I mean, I'm here almost every Sunday. I probably miss two, maybe three a year. Thursday nights, I'm there almost every Thursday, might miss three or four a year. And other things that we do here, 
whether it's events or whatever, I mean, I'm committed to these things. But if I'm willing to to take a, a step and say, I need to do more and I'm going to commit one Sunday a month to another faith community just so I can be a part of what God's doing and giving, I want to challenge you to do the same. And if you don't want to be a part of what's happening here at Genesis. And if, if you can't give time, if you don't feel comfortable giving money here, then give it somewhere, whether it's UNICEF or whether it's whatever. But be a person of generosity. Be a person who gives to help the world around you, that gives to help the people around you, the community around you. Be a person who makes a difference and leaves a mark for the better. Be like Zacchaeus who says, I'm going to change. And I'm going to mark that today I am no longer going to be a consumer. I'm going to give, in his his case, half of what I have back. And I'm going to bring retribution to anyone I've wronged. You see, we don't need you to give as much as you need to give. And it's for your sake that you move from a position of life that sees the world as what you consume to seeing the world as what you can contribute to. I've got to tell you, as I was just thinking about the people who've been generous to me, it's, it's humbling. I would not be here There would not be a genesis if it weren't for people who helped us make it. Years back, about five years ago, when we started, before Genesis started, when I lost my job and I felt like the the rug was pulled out from under me and I was wondering, what am I going to do? I've told you guys before, I was thinking maybe I'll go up to Napa. There was a a small church up in St. Helena that was offered. And I was like, well, maybe I'll do that because I don't know what I'm going to do. And and having no income and starting to learn how to train dogs, we were thinking, well, we might lose the house. And there was a point where I was just ready to say, you know what, I'll just, we'll sell the house, we'll get a condo, maybe we can move somewhere cheaper, and I'll just... Start living like that. And it was because people gave us money that we were able to keep our house. Otherwise, we couldn't have. And it was because Alex called me and said, Hey, Sam, I think you need to start a Bible study. That I did. It was because people contributed to me that I'm here. And so if Genesis has been anything to you, it's because people gave to me. People made a difference in my life. And I want it to be something that I can do to others as well. I've received the gift of generosity. And I bet you have too. Now, let's move from being people who consume to people who give. I mean, why is it that about a third of Americans struggle with some form of obesity, that the top-selling drugs are that for stress, for depression, for high blood pressure, for ulcers. We have more than we have ever had. 
We are the most affluent nation in the world and we have the most struggles and stresses and problems and the highest depression rate than ever before. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. It brings health to your soul when you are a person of generosity when you have a mentality of life that gives instead of takes, you become a better person. And God is wanting to bring restoration to our lives. And maybe the place it needs to start is how we see life and that we see it as an opportunity to help. An opportunity to to give and not just an opportunity to get. You know, whenever you, you talk about this kind of thing, or at least you always struggle, I struggle, because I, I, I don't want, you always kind of lay, lay out this disclaimer, hey, if you're a guest here, you know, don't feel pressured to give. You know, this isn't meant to be a sales pitch. I'm not trying to, you know, use car salesman kind of a guy. If you, today and today only, you know, God will bless you. What we're trying to do is encourage us in how we live our lives. But I want to challenge the Genesis community in the months to come. I'm not asking you to, today we're going to take a special offering. <laughs> we're going to take. Um, in the months to come, if you want to see things take place in your community here, I want you to see where you can contribute. Maybe it's once a month you can help out in setting up the tables and chairs or helping out with the kids. We always need help with the kids. We're trying to start a, a new curriculum in September. and We want to start a whole new children's church, and we need people to be involved with that. We want to break the classrooms up so we can have that. We're going to need more teachers for that. So maybe it's in that regard. We want to build a kitchen in Haiti. We built a latrine. I think that's so cool. We built a toilet in Haiti. <laughs> I got pride in our toilet in Haiti. But we want to build a kitchen in the school. And, and what will happen is if the school has a kitchen, they'll be able to have events there that will bring in money so that they can actually be self-sustaining. And they won't need outside money to keep coming in to support the school. And so if we can help them build a kitchen, then they'll be able to do that. And it'll be provision not only for that school, but for that community. But it's going to be about $10,000 or more. Is it more? It's more. Yeah, Denise. So it's more than $10,000. What if we did it? I mean, I'm real proud of our latrine. Wouldn't it be cool to have a kitchen? And maybe you're in a position where financially you can't give much. That's okay. They spun goat hair. What can you spin? What can you do to contribute not just to Genesis, maybe to the family across the street who's struggling? What can you do that will make you a person of generosity, a person who doesn't consume but contributes.
And let that be our life's perspective. Let's pray. Lord, we see in Zacchaeus a life that connected to you made life better for everybody around him. Lord, if we too are connected to you, how is our life affecting the people around us? Do we see ourselves as a gift to humanity? Or are we a deficit? Are we taking resources? Are we people who are constantly in need? Are our lives self-focused? Are we consuming things just to try and fill this hole within us and we're finding ourselves coming up short every time? Lord, may we step back and look and see that this isn't about us. That we are actually here to contribute. That we actually fulfill who we are when we give, when we serve, when we help, when we invest our time, our ability, our resources in things that bring betterment to the world around us. God, what could we do if we cared enough to make the difference? And so, Lord, as you have challenged my heart to even give of myself and my time more, I pray you would challenge all of our hearts to to do what we can, what we are capable of, what we are willing to do. Lord, this isn't constraint. I, I I don't want anyone to feel guilty about having to give, but God, I want our hearts to move from a place of complacency to a place of willingness, a place of passion, a place that wants to see change take place and then empowers ourselves to make the change happen. God, we could do so much. And so I pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord, of what we can do in our community. Lord, with every penny that comes in to this community at Genesis, Lord, may we be wise in how it goes out and may it make a difference. And Lord, may we be people who are blessed, not because we have, but because we give. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.